Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist and the host of this podcast, From Crisis to Connection. This is a podcast about relationships, the relationships with others, of course, but also the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with our higher power. I believe we experience our deepest joys when we're in harmony with these relationships. But when we lose that connection to ourselves and others through our own unhealthy behaviors like addictions, infidelity, secrecy, abuse, and so on, or we lose it by being betrayed by someone else's choices, it throws us into crisis. Getting out of crisis and living in connection isn't always straightforward or easy, but it is possible. And that's why every week I bring you incredible guests who share their life experiences and expertise to help you move from crisis to connection. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Today I want to talk about something that can sometimes be a little bit counterintuitive. You know those days or weeks or even periods of our lives where we just feel like we're barely surviving, where it just feels like we can barely put one foot in front of the other and it feels like a major accomplishment to just take care of ourselves physically, get a shower, eat some good food, maybe wake up the next day and do it all over again. We all go through periods like that. But where does thriving fit into any of that? Do we just put that off until we reach some future destination or some time period where we again can relax and maybe have some joy or take good care of ourselves? Or is it possible to thrive in the middle of surviving? My guest today teaches that it's absolutely possible and important for us to find ways to be intentional about having joy and thriving in the middle of whatever is going on in our lives. Whether it's a major victory, whether it's a major accomplishment, or whether it's a major face plant or some really serious struggles and trials and challenges that are happening to us. Regardless of what's going on, my guest today says that thriving is totally possible, that it's our intentionality, our ability to be aware of and present-minded so that we can look for opportunities to have some joy, to be able to feel like we can have purpose and meaning regardless of what's going on around us. Now, this isn't always easy to do, but it is really important for our mental health for our relationships, and for directing our lives and not feeling like we're just passengers stuck on a train that is going somewhere we may not want it to go. My guest today is Kristen Andrus, and Kristen's awesome. She is just a joyful person, and I actually found her on Instagram when she was featuring a live chat with her brother and a therapist talking about addiction recovery in their family and some of these things. And Kristen is has a lot of things going on. She is very active on social media, has a large Instagram following and does a lot of food stuff in terms of food blogging and, and so on. But she also does free workouts on YouTube, which are very popular. And she also does a lot of posts on family, faith, serving in the community. She's very actively involved in serving her community and helping uh, families and doing all kinds of great stuff for the Ronald McDonald House, the Midvale Family Shelter, the U Utah Refugee Center and does a lot of work on suicide prevention as well. 
And one of the reasons I follow her, even though her audience is primarily women, I follow her because she's so intentional and she does so much to try and find joy in the journey. And I've really enjoyed following her posts and I love how real she is. And even though by all measures, you look at her life and think, well, of course she's in a good mood and she's happy all the time because look how charmed her life is. If you get to know her and see her story and listen to how open she is about things, she's definitely had to do the work and work through a lot of different things. And her ability to find positivity, to find joy, to find intentionality, no matter what's going on, whether it's hard, whether it's going well, is just very inspiring. And it's totally possible. So I'm excited for you to meet with her. And I loved our interview that I did with her. It just was a really great chance to talk through these things and really just try and get some specific tools and ideas and support on how to pull this off. And you guys, if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, know that I am certainly the last person to minimize people's real struggles. And so this is not some, let's just draw a happy face on life and try and make everything wonderful. This is really about doing this, recognizing that there are very real challenges that all of us face, some of them that would just absolutely take your breath away, but that in that it's possible to thrive. It's possible to be able to have some joy, to be able to have some purpose and some meaning, and that we don't have to just go through hoping that someday we can feel those things and that someday there's a destination where everything will just all of a sudden feel better. But it's actually learning how to be in the journey and recognize that the opportunities are right in front of us every single day to have some kind of purpose and to be able to thrive physically, emotionally, in other areas. So let's jump right into my interview with Kristen Andrus. Well, welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while, so I'm excited. So one thing that I love about just who you are, what you do, is I've followed you on social media and just watched some of the things that you've done. It's just this emphasis on thriving no matter what's going on around you. And you know, a lot of people, of course, if they follow you on social media, would would look at your life and say, "Oh, of course she's thriving." You know, like you know, she's got this charmed life, whatever. But I know better than that. I've worked with enough people in my lifetime to know that, you know, that people all have stories and journeys and stuff like that. And I read a little bit about and listened to you talk about how everything didn't line up exactly how you ever thought it would, but that in that process over the years, you figured out that the journey is the destination, which is something that you said in one of your talks. And I wrote that down and I really thought about it, that the journey is the destination. So can we start there? I just would love for you to talk to my listeners about that, that whole concept in terms of what that, what, you know, what that means in terms of that journey? Yeah, definitely. So I think we all think once I get there, once I reach this goal, this promotion, once my kids are out of the house, once, once, once this happens, then I've arrived, then I'll be happy. Once I have this amount of money, everything will be fine. And I've had the opportunity, like you said, to have some of those what if, when moments actually happen. <laughs> so we've done that. We've, we've yep. taken a company public and we were, you know, the New York Stock Exchange and, you know, it, it went out and we've sold a business and we did it. Like we arrived, yeah. quote unquote, we arrived. Like we've actually had a couple of opportunities where it could feel like this is it. And then, and we got to that and then we're happy, you know, or we've done it or, and you realize that you look back and you're like, I laugh because it's like, there was still a lot of laundry. I still had to make dinner. <laughs> there was still that voice inside my head 
bothering me. You know, there were still interactions with my kids that were hard. Life still happens. And so you realize, oh my gosh, we went through this entire journey. We arrived at the destination. The destination was actually really nothing. It was a, it was a moment. It was an amazing moment. And then before you know it, it's over and you're back on either a new journey or a harder journey, realizing that what you went through, all of the trials, all of the learnings, everything good and bad that happened was actually what it was all about. It wasn't about the moment of glory of the promotion of the kids leaving the house. And you think, oh my gosh, I don't want to miss out on that again. And so that was my talk down at UVU was uh, speaking from experience, the destination is not, it's an awesome moment, but it's, it's just that it's a moment. And it was the getting there and what we did to get there, what worked, what didn't work, everything I learned from that, that can then create this new journey. And then you realize sometimes actually what comes next is harder. Um, And then that journey is over, but it just starts a brand new one. Well, and I I appreciate it coming from someone, again, like you said, who's actually achieved some of these benchmarks that I think culturally we look at and think, man, if I can financially hit this benchmark, or if I can have, you know, kids, or if I can have this type of career, or if my body can look this way, or these kinds of things, then, and so it's nice to hear that, you know, somebody who has hit some of these benchmarks is looking back on it and saying, hey guys, it's not what you think. (laughs) We're looking at the wrong target here. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's that whole adage of wherever you go, there you are. Totally. Totally. You know, the body, the money, the kids, the fame, whatever it may be, there you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I've talked with people throughout my career doing this. I've talked with lots of people who, of course, on the outside seem like they've arrived or they've gone somewhere. And that's part of their big secret that they feel like they carry is that they have to somehow be a performance and kind of keep up that they're just loving it. It's amazing because everybody expects them to be in this place. And that can almost be a straitjacket in some ways. And so I love that you've, you know, that your message is like, let's throw that off. Like it's a moment and I'm not going to minimize it and act like being at the New York Stock Exchange wasn't a cool experience or hitting some of these milestones weren't amazing moments, but they're not just like perpetually in slow motion with the ticker tape coming down and everything's just like so dreamy and whatever. It's like, no, that day ended, like you said, went back, had to do some laundry, had to get on with my life. And then there were new challenges that came up in terms of managing the new adventure that came up because of those things. Yeah. Yeah. In some of those cases, it did become harder in a lot of different ways. And then it's the beginning of a new journey. But I think you have this hindsight that you can look back and say, I'm not going to wait another 10 years for this to happen again. I'm going to enjoy and learn from the journey because that's actually what it's about. Yeah. And one thing that you said, I don't know if it was in your talk at Utah Valley University or if it was in something else I read, but that you know, speaking of that moment, sort of that moment when you went public and you guys made had this big transaction of selling, I think it was part of your husband's, like the business you guys had built or something like that, right? Yeah, those were two different instances, but yeah. Oh, okay. But on one of those milestones on that day when you guys had a, you know, you said you looked at the bank account and there was this big influx of money, like all of a sudden you by all measures had arrived. But like you said, this to you felt like the beginning of a new journey. It wasn't like a stopping place. And that And the thing that I loved was that you said that you made a conscious decision that day to decide what message you were going to send to your children, to your family about what are we going to do with this new responsibility? I think you described it like it was a weight. Can you tell the rest of that story, what happened there? I would love my listeners to hear it from your own mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So we run Traeger Grills and a few years ago, 
we sold majority ownership in the company mm-hmm. that we, you know, kind of grown and, and it was doing amazing. And so we ended up getting a private equity partner. And as any deal goes, if, if you're in the investment industry or anything, you know that it's just really drawn out and takes a really long time. So I'm sitting on a spin bike in a class and I get a text from Jeremy that says transaction completed, which was kind of this life changing bank account changing, you know, thing that we had happen to us. And I remember imagining that I would feel excited and I want to celebrate. And instead the tears just started coming. And I just, I felt like you said this weight and this responsibility and that, you know, where much is given, much is required. And I just thought, what does this mean? And not what does this mean, but what do I make this mean to Mm. my family, to my six kids? I can either go one way and become a big consumer, or I can go another way and not let it change our lifestyle, really not have it affect any of our day-to-day life. But really, it set us on a trajectory of philanthropy, of charity. We picked up our kids from school. We went and bought a ton of groceries and we went down to the teen shelter. And so... In my head, the only picture I have from that day is my kids ringing the doorbell and knocking on the teen homeless shelter. And I thought, this is where we go. This is our direction. And, and the heaviness lifted. You know, when I decided this is what it means for us. And once again, it's going to be the journey because there's never a destination in that moment, you know, in, in our lives, probably that will matter as much as that first one. But this is the trajectory of our family, of our life. This is what's important and what matters. I love the the invitation to think about these crossroad moments as an invitation of what journey are you going to go on now? And obviously, like this transaction completed moment was, you know, a, a very positive one because it it gives you all kinds of opportunities. But there can be other crossroads that are maybe more disappointing or shocking or other kinds of things. And I think it's the same invitation for all of those. Like, what what is your journey going to look like now? Right. And I think being an active participant in that. Yeah. I think so often, like you said, it's transaction didn't complete. It's I lost the job. It's my husband's leaving. My child has a has health problems. And it's it's saying, I'm not going to passively sit by and, and be a victim with this. I am going to actively pursue the road that I want to take. And I think so often we kind of let things happen to us instead of saying, I'm taking charge, you know, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to go down this path and even just taking those steps, making that action. I talk about that in friendships, like you'll be an active friend. Like if you lose friends, you move, there's all these situations that happen. You really have to be an active participant in your life rather than passively waiting to see what direction your life goes in. Oh, I love that. How do you do that personally? Because, and I'll frame it like this, I've thought about your selling the majority partnership in Traeger story and having that text come through and realizing that there's a big lifestyle or a big opportunity here to make decisions. And I think, how would I have responded? I probably would have gone out and bought something. (laughs) Right? That's what most people would do. It's just like this. Okay. I'm going to be crystal clear though, because we had already sold Skull Candy. We had already gone public with Skull Candy and that was our first big win. So I will say this was kind of our second success. In our so you'd had a dress rehearsal. Okay. We, yeah. So we had already <laughs> had, and then we had actually invested everything we made in Skull Candy, all of it into Traeger. So it was a big, and no one had heard of Traeger at the time. So I will say we had had a big moment, but then we put that big moment all into this one. So that's why this one was even sweeter 
because like we risked it all. It was like all you know, eggs are in this basket. It was a nail biting journey. So, yeah. So it really was even bigger this way because, but we had been comfortable because we had had that. So I just want you to know that, you know, and we did start building a house and things like that. I'm sure. not going to say I didn't buy a pair of shoes, but. Right, right. Yeah. Well, but, but the intentionality, I guess is my question because, you know, and I'm definitely not suggesting that that it's, it's wrong to, you know, celebrate or do those things. What I'm saying is that there was an intentionality aspect of it that I think is really important to understand how in your life, because that's not a decision you make in that moment that you're going to live intentionally, right? Like that's not something that just on that day, you're just like, okay, now I'm going to start living intentionally. It's like, there had to be a reflex in there somewhere for you. And I'm just so curious, looking back, what, what decisions have you made or how have you tried to make this a part of your life in terms of, really staying in the journey, thinking of it that way, being intentional, being active? You know, I think one thing is, is I enjoy, I kind of thrive on being busy, have a lot going on. I'm always kind of one step in front of the other. I think action is for me a really positive thing. And so when I'm down or things have gone wrong, I mean, and and I'll say it was blood, sweat, and tears for the first eight years of Skull Candy. We had it was really hard on our marriage. It was, he was gone constantly. Like everything leading up, the journey was really, really hard and not enjoyable, I will say. And so realizing I, we had a lot of like, you know, kind of interactions, which weren't super positive because I was always being let down. He was always working. He was always gone. So there was a lot that went into that. And so I think it was me saying, I've got to step up and take care of myself. I've got to take action on this. If I'm a passive watch her by on trying to grow this business and I'm starting to have small kids, I'm miserable. And so I am going to step up. I'm going to take steps to better my life because he's gone. He loves me. He supports me. But if I don't take ownership over my life, I think that's probably where it began. I also, I worked, I was you know successful in, in a sales career. And so I saw that it worked. I saw that the harder I worked, you know, I wasn't a salaried employee and I was a single girl. I was starting to, you know, make a lot of money and save money and do all this really cool stuff. And so I thought the more I do, you know, the more I can save, the more I have for my future. And then I get married and it kind of, you know, I stop working, I start having kids, but it was like, I also have to get back to that and really take care of myself and make sure that I am actively involved in my own life to make sure that I'm happy because I can't wait and have him do that for me. Yeah, I love that. So the intentionality is really just taking charge of every day. And, you know, again, like you said before, when it was just you, a single woman working, building your career, putting money in the bank, that was more sort of, you know, measurable. It's like, yeah, like if I do this, this happens. But then you get married with somebody and then it's easy to sort of become passive. And with kids, like they can obviously take you a thousand directions. (laughs) And so it really became about steering the ship again in your own life. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. But I think as a single girl realizing I have control over yeah. how my life goes, over how hard I work. You know, when you're in a sales job, if I wasn't ever sitting at a desk. I was never clucking and clucking out. And so I saw the harder I work, the more results I get. And so, you know, that, that's the same in college. It was the same in high school as well. But I think it really rung true when I saw this result-driven thing and it made me hungrier to do better and I ended up being successful. So then once again, that's the journey no distinct destination. But then with marriage and family, like you said, it starts over. And it's like, I know that when I take charge, you know, of my life and I'm actively involved in it and making sure that I'm getting my needs met, that's when everything started clicking 
and obviously informing your partner of this and letting them know what your needs are. And that's a whole nother story, but yeah. <laughs> but as part of it though, that's part of being active instead of passive and assuming that that somehow things will turn out the way you hope they will without having to talk about them. So I definitely agree with that. And I, I work with so many people in my practice over 20 years and just teaching workshops and just working with people that a lot of bad things happen to them. A lot of unfair things happen to them. A lot of even just like, heart-wrenching, life-changing, awful things. And there's this kind of moment where I think a lot of people feel like, man, I will feel better when this person changes this or when this circumstance changes this. And so, I mean, we're talking about being intentional about just day-to-day life and, you know, every new opportunity is a new journey. But when we're talking about heartbreak, when we're talking about unfair things happening, is the same counsel applicable here? Is it, is it the same idea that it's about activity not passivity, intentionality? I think so. I posted this because I saw on Frozen 2 and I kind of forgot about this quote about like the best thing you can do is the next right thing. Yeah. And I really like that idea. And, but once again, it's kind of that momentum. It's kind of making a step. It's, it's walking outside and like, you know, doing a couple jumping jacks and walking back in. It's meeting a friend for lunch, even though you don't feel like leaving the house. It's making the text or the call. It's reaching out to a therapist. It's, I do. I think it's doing the next right thing. For me, I can look at my week, my month, and think about what I want to do. For some people, and I have these people in my life, it's, it's literally the next thing. Yeah. What is that one thing that I can do that can maybe you know, get me out of this depression, this anxiety, this, this loop, this you know, whatever it may be? And so I, that next right thing is just speaking to me right now when it's hard what do I do next? What do I do today, the next year? It's like, it's just about the next right thing. You know, I, I had a, we have a cousin, a dear friend of Jeremy's, his best friend who, when we asked, how did you get out of this cocaine addiction? He said, I made a choice every, it was like, I'm not going to do it for an hour. The next right thing is I'm not going to do it for one more hour. Maybe tonight I will, but I'm not going to do it for one more hour. And it was this next right thing decision and being an active player in his recovery, it was an, it's an amazing story, but it makes me think of that as well. And so I think maybe some of the things I was talking about were a little bit more broad, but I think if you just one foot in front of each other, getting in the car and driving to the grocery store, like whatever those little things are, they're hard, just do that one right thing. And then again. Yeah, that's so perfect. I love that quote as well. I think that that's, that's something we can all do. And we all know, yeah. And if we're not sure what the next right thing is, just take a second and think about it. Cause I think it's pretty intuitive for most of us. We know. Yeah. I do too. Our, I think we know. Our core, yeah, our core is, is right there. And yeah, the whole, you know, just make little movements, little things like that. I mean, I'm thinking about, I know that uh, you do workout videos on YouTube for free that people can just subscribe to and watch and that you have, that you get a lot of people in shape with five pound weights. Right. <laughs> yes. And so it doesn't, doesn't mean you have to lift a, a giant boulder to get in shape. It's the repetition of little tiny weights and it just makes a huge difference. This is very symbolic you're, for what we're talking about. You're exactly right. And don't even get the weights, just turn the video on and you've won that day. Right. Like it's oh, it, it be so little. Yes. I love it. I love it. So this leads me to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about on your Instagram bio, I think it says I'm chief culture officer of my home. Yep. Totally did a double take on that. I'm like, wait a second. What is this? I've never even heard this before. 
So tell me about that. Where did that come from? Let's just talk about culture. Obviously, family culture in your case with what you know you put on your bio there, but even just creating cultures and, and that kind of intentionality. Tell me the backstory of that. Yeah. So I remember we were driving. I don't know if we were going up the canyon, like on a fall hike or something like that. And my husband, you know, like like we just talked about, runs a bunch of companies and he's really big on culture and he's written articles on culture. And we were talking about, he said, yeah, there's, and this was year, you know, years and years ago. And I think it's a fairly newer idea of having a chief culture officer who kind of directs and drives the culture of your business. And I said, you know what? I'm the chief culture officer of our family. And as I thought that, once again, it was like, oh my gosh, those words actually take on a lot of meaning because I drive, I dictate my mood, my emotion, my stress level, my happy, my sad, you know, my energy drives our home. And I create the culture, you know, whether it be service, whether it be, you know, frustration and impatience, like it goes both ways for good or for bad, that really I am the one that just like a CEO would be, you know, or a chief culture officer in a business, you are that. And often it falls to the mother, I will say. Sure. Fathers could definitely be, but I feel like it often the mothers are kind of in charge of. And when I've mentioned this, by the way, you know, thousands and thousands of women are like, oh no, like uh. you're right. <laughs> and that's kind of daunting. Yeah. And it's like, hey, it's also a culture of forgiveness. And it's a culture of, I'm in a bad mood. Let's start over. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be a culture of happy and a culture of silly and dance parties. It's also a culture of love and, and tomorrow will be a better day and, you know, all of those things. And so, I think people don't have to think like it's all rosy and happy culture. It's, you know, once a month for us, it's like once a week, we're going to go out and do a service project because that is our family culture. That's who we are to the core. We are healthy eaters. We don't eat, you know, like there's just things like that, that I drive that I realized it took me many years. I have six kids now to say, yeah, kind of how I operate and how I um, react and how I lead our family really makes up the culture in our home. Well, you're creating a culture, whether you think you are or not. Exactly. Right. I mean, there's the culture is happening. And I, I had the same reaction when I, when I read that, you know, I, I'm not home with my children all day long and, and, but I am, I feel responsible for a culture in my home. And I know my wife feels the same way. We talked about this and I, and I just thought, yeah, th that can feel like a heavy burden. And really all it is like that burden has been there since day one. I just yeah. maybe wasn't conscious of it. And so now in some ways, it's an invitation to me to look at it and say, okay, what kind of culture? First of all, I remember looking back going, well, what kind of culture have I created over the past 25 years of marriage? I mean, what, how would I define that? And there were some things were a little cringy, you know, and there were some things where I was like, I think we did good there. But then it's really about taking the reins and saying, okay, how do we quantify this? How do we define this? What exactly would our children say and, you know, what's been their experience and uh, maybe even to ask them um, as they get older. I think there's a lot, it's a very dynamic thing. And I, I love, I love the whole purpose and permission to talk about it this way and to create it and steer it and make it intentional instead of just going like, well, this is what my parents did and just kind of whatever. We just live our lives and it doesn't have to be perfectly curated. It has to be just intentional, whatever it is. Yeah. The awareness is half the battle. Yeah, totally. Like you said, you're, you're doing it whether you know it or not. <laughs> and I love the thought of steering 
because I think you're never in the, especially in the family, you're never in the perfect culture, right? This morning, my six-year-old was driving me crazy. Was I a great cultural director? No, I was not. But I know where the lighthouse is. I know what I want it to look like. I know what I want my attitude to be like. And so I'm cold, I'm steering that direction. Where if you don't know, family life can take you all over from the happiest of the highs of highs, to the lowest of lows within an hour. And so I think knowing where the light is, where you want it to go, where you're steering is the other half of the battle. And, and we're, we're going to stumble our way there. Yeah. 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 And like you said, I, I love that whole idea that part of our culture is about making room for us to make mistakes and be human and figure it out and learn together that that's very much a culture thing because there are some systems, some cultures, whether it's in a business or a family where there's no room for mistakes, where you get punished for those kinds of things. And so you can introduce whatever culture you want and hopefully everyone's culture does include grace. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So just curious for you, like, how do you describe the culture? You mentioned a couple things in your family. What, what kinds of things are you guys intentional about? Just, just to give people ideas. You know, one thing that we talk a lot about, and my oldest is 13, just turned 13, but just a little bit in like what you do in the addiction and watching teenagers go through what they're going to go through. Cause I feel like it's a whole little kids, little problems and big kid, big problems. And we're not there yet. But Jeremy and I are super intentional about being open, talking about sex and marijuana and alcohol and pornography and bad pictures. And, you know, like, I think we all grew up in a little bit of a different, you know, where just a, just a different household where maybe those things weren't talked about. And, and we want to be open where what, like my daughter saw something on TV that was really, really disturbing to her. It was, it was actually pretty bad. And she came to me and started crying. She was 12 at the time and said, this, I saw this on TV and she explained it to me. And I thought, I don't think I would have gone to my mom and told her about this. I think I would have held it in and not said anything. And my mom's super open, but I'm like, I think the culture of the openness is working. If she's coming and telling me this, right. um, when kids come and talk about even their little problems, because to them, they're big problems. And so sitting and talking, being open, Hey, are, are you know, about swearing. I mean, right now it's like little stuff, but to me, if we can create a culture of anything, it's, we are open. We're not going to judge. We have a lot of family members going through things that I think our kids hear us talking about people making different choices and we would make and loving them anyways, being open to them, inviting them into our home. Like we are open and loving unconditionally, no matter what. That's great. That's great. It's not, and it's so nice to be able to, like I said, quantify some of these things. And, and it really, I think helps steer it, keeps you on track. Cause you have these benchmarks of saying, like you said, this is the lighthouse. Like we, you know, if somebody does something that we don't necessarily agree with, or we would do, we still love them anyway. Right. Benchmark. And those yeah. become guideposts for your kids and for you guys to get back to when you feel like you've uh, veered off from it. That's beautiful. And I would, I would invite, you know, all the people listening here, I would invite you to, to really do a little cultural assessment, a little inventory. What have you already created? What do you want? To, what are you creating? And then most importantly, what do you want to create and, and take that inventory and make those commitments and have those conversations with your family members, with, you know, with yourself, obviously, but with your spouse or your partner, your kids. I think it's fantastic. So I appreciate you putting that on there. I think that's very inspiring. And again, gets into that whole next right thing type idea, which is 
if you haven't done that or you feel like your house has just been getting, you know, sort of dragged around by whatever's going on in the moment, you can do something about it. You don't have to just let it keep being that way if it doesn't feel right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and not, pa- I think as a, as a part of a family, it's easy to be passive and think yeah. things are just going to be happening, coming at us and being actively engaged in creating your culture. Like we talked about kind of bringing back to that, I think is, is where it's at. Even just in, in your head, in your partner's head that you guys are thinking about it, you will, you'll do it better. Yeah. I love that. So another thing I wanted to talk about in terms of thriving and just trying to, to be healthy Again, one thing that I that I feel like you've been very intentional about is is choosing joy, challenging your thoughts, you know, recognizing that you are not your thoughts. I've heard you speak about this. I just would love to hear you talk about this for a minute. This whole idea of really taking a step back and not just going with whatever comes up in your head about yourself or about others. Yeah. So mostly I've learned about this from reading. I love the untethered soul Mm. that is a course in this. So if, if this speaks to you and your brain is constantly talking at you and it's negative and it's bringing you down, the untethered soul is, it's a hard read. It's short because it's really, really digs deep into this. And then there's some other life coaches like Brooke Castillo and Jody Moore that talk a lot about this. But it was this aha moment. And it was interesting because my sisters and I and my mom were all in different states. Most of them are in California. I'm here. We all kind of started listening to this and talking about it at the same time. And, and even my mom, who'd been through the mothering and been through all of this as a you know 60-something-year-old woman was like, you guys are so lucky that you're learning about this now. Like I've been through most of my life and I'm just starting to understand that my thoughts are not me, mm. that my brain is not me and, and separating them and maybe even standing and aside and watching your thoughts, choosing the ones you want to hold on to, but then letting a lot of them go. I think it's a fairly new concept for me. And, and I'd say the general public, I'm sure that a lot of people have known about this for a while, but I think teaching our kids that, that you are not your thoughts. And when you're having anxious thoughts, upsetting thoughts, you know, downward spiral, any of these types of thoughts that you can separate yourself from that and say, that is not me. I'm going to look at it from afar. I'm going to choose not to let that become a part of me. And I'm going to to let that pass. And there's so many different ways um, in therapy, I'm sure that can help people go through this, but just, I'd suggest if, if this is something you want to look into it, reading a book or listening to a podcast that really dives a little bit deeper because I'll barely skim the surface. And I think it's one of the most important things that can change your life. I truly, truly do. I even see Jeremy, like we joke because he'll sometimes get mad at customer service and he's like, untethered soul. I'm just going <laughs> to let this go. I'm not going to get my energy and get all, you know, get my brain. Because that is, it's like, we have this brain that's constantly annoying and talking to us and not letting us just relax. And so I think that's what's great about meditation, you know, maybe yoga, things like that. But that concept especially if you can learn that early in life, I think can really change, change your thoughts, not even change your thoughts, but let you let a lot of these thoughts go. Yeah. I love that. I love the whole concept. It's, it it is a lot like, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about, you know, observing the self and just kind of watching yourself have this experience versus I am my experience. We're going through something and my goodness, if, if my thoughts were me, then I would be a different person every 30 minutes. <laughs> right. What a roller coaster, right? And so 
I do. I, I really appreciate that. And I think it does give us a chance to, you know, relate to our thoughts, relate to our emotions and be more intentional as we're talking about. Um, and so I, I get that it's a deeper dive than we, we have time for here today, but I wanted to introduce the concept and give you a second to talk about it because I know that, like you said, it's had a huge impact on your life. And I've experienced that as well in my own life. I've shared with my listeners that my wife did a seven-day silent meditation retreat with the Lower Light School of Wisdom with Thomas McConkie and his group back a year and a half ago. And it changed our family completely in terms of slowing everything way down. She came home so different. And, and it was a lot of this kind of a thing of like, wow, the experience I'm having, I can observe, I can slow down, I can relate to it differently. I don't have to just be in it all the time. Powerful right. stuff. And that your thoughts are what creates your frustration, your impatience. Like the circumstance is neutral. The kid not getting ready in the morning is actually just a neutral circumstance. You losing your job, your you know husband or wife leaving, um, all of these things are neutral. It's your thoughts that will either lead you to the right next thing or not. They can either, you can either try to, you know, positively view that. You know, I think about it with my kids all the time. It's like, I always say this circumstance is neutral. Like what my, this raging tantrum is neutral. My thoughts will dictate my life, will dictate my actions, will dictate everything. It's not the tantrum that's doing it to me. It's my thoughts about the tantrum, about what's happening. That to me, it's, it's so freeing, right? It's like, it gives you that power back. I now have the choice to decide what I do. I find the older I get as, as a mom and I'm still new in it, you know, the quieter I am. It's kind of like what you just said about your wife. Yeah. I sat there the other day and I had someone playing the violin. The boys were doing something and someone was screaming, someone was singing. And I just sat there and I thought normally I'd, ah, you know, start freaking out. And I just sat there quietly. I'm like, I'm going to let this pass. You know, like this could drive me to the insane asylum. <laughs> but I'm just like, I just find that I'm quiet. If things are going wrong or chaotic, I tend to quiet now because me talking and letting my thoughts spin me out of control is not going to do anyone any good. Yeah, exactly. And, and and the thing is, is that we're having, you know, we're having experiences that we might react strongly to, but somebody else could have the exact same experience and not respond the same way we are. So what's the difference? Is the experience by itself always going to produce the same reaction? No. And so, you know, and, and obviously, like you said, I, I, there's absolutely room for us to have an authentic response and then choose later. Like, I think I want to respond from now on this way. There has to be room for us to be human in this and to take feedback and figure it out. But I love the idea that we can steer that, that we're not just passively yeah. in the passenger seat of, of our thoughts in our life. And it just takes us where it's going to take us. Right. It's normally not crazy enough. It's normally not in the right direction. I find. <laughs> I know. You know, you're natural. Yeah. Now, I, someone said this, we talked about marriage and I was, I talk a lot about marriage relationships and things like that. And they said, I don't understand how you can always, you know, give, give, give without expecting a lot in return. And I said, I'm constantly every day going against my natural instinct still. Yeah. Right. They still bother me, but I have the choice to let it bother me or not. I have the choice to let it go. And that's where the difference lies. Right. And if it's something that matters enough, you can talk about it and so on. I mean, this is it. You're not just following some kind of prescription. You're actively steering this thing and letting go of something to me is just as difficult or courageous or intentional as bringing something up. I mean, they're both choices. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Let's move on to, again, staying on this theme of thriving when we feel like we're surviving. Let's talk about self-care. And you had said something 
in one of your one of your talks that I listened to where you said that you learned at some point that you have to make sure that your needs are met, that you can't expect Jeremy or, you know, obviously kids, kids have no interest in meeting my needs, right? That wouldn't be, <laughs> they're, they're here to like be taken care of. We get that. But in terms of you making sure that you get your needs met, that you take charge of that, where did you learn that? Where did that come from in terms of really deciding that you had to be in charge of your own self-care? You know, I think probably from my mom, she was always really good at that. I remember every morning getting up and running, you know, we get ourselves up for school. She had, you know, we had a bunch of kids and we were all involved in really, you know, strenuous activities. And so she, you know, got help. She was, and it was kind of back in the, we're, I'm from California, but not a lot of our friends had help or anything like that. So she'd help get a, you know, get a driver, like a young girl who would come and help drive us to our activities. And she made sure she was in the junior league and that really fulfilled her doing, you know, philanthropy like that. And so I just saw her saying like, I exercise every day and I'm not letting anything get in the way of that. I need to get help so that I can make sure that I'm at all my kids' activities and I'm where I need to be. I'm going to take time out of my day and volunteer and do that because it's social and it's helping the community. And she was really involved in our community. But I never felt like her doing that and having a very full life ever affected me negatively. And I look now and I think, actually, that affected me positively because look how I lead my life. And like I said, I had a, a child or two and Jeremy was gone constantly. And I thought, I've got, to, I've got to take control of this. I am miserable. I am lonely. I'm not a good mom. I'm very unhappy. And the minute that I kind of seized control and said, I'm going to find a little grandma in my neighborhood that's going to take care of my three-month-old because I need a break to go to Target for a minute. You know, I need these things. And I was vocal about it in not a... It's on the delivery, right? And so how... Like those iMessages, this is what I need. I will be better because of this. Can you please support me in what I need? That and and then it's just taken, you know, taken off from there. But uh, realizing when my needs were not met and things were really hard in the beginning um, with little tiny kids and really feeling trapped after you know having kids a little bit later in life. Once I took control of that and made my needs known, and there may be some you know partners that say, nope, sorry, can't support that. And there's times that I'll say, this is what I need and it doesn't work for our family. And so Jeremy will say, that doesn't work for this reason. Of course, right? There's compromise. But I think vocalizing, first of all, knowing what your needs are, then vocalizing them to your community, to your team, to your family, that's half of it. And then making sure that you have systems in place that can help get you to where you need to be. Yeah. And there's so many ways to be creative about this. It's not just about saying, well, I don't have any money to hire help or whatever. Like you said, find a little grandma. I remember when I was in graduate school, we found four other families and we would do a babysitting co-op and we just traded kids. And, and then when it was our night, we'd have eight, nine, 10 kids in our house going crazy for two hours. But we knew that we would get three dates that month without our kid. And so right. <laughs> there's so many right. ways to do this. And like you said, it's driven by the permission that you're going to show up better in your life for those you love when you're taking care of yourself and prioritizing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And sometimes it's saying, hun, from one to five on Saturday, I'm going to go do this. I would really appreciate your help taking over. You know, it doesn't, it definitely doesn't need to be paid help. It could right. just be telling your husband or spouse that, on Thursday, I'm going on a girl's night. And once a month, it's really important for me to go out with my girlfriends. And I'd love for you to support me on this. Let's calendar it in. And I always say that to, for Jeremy and I works out, like calendaring things in, talking through things. This is what the month looks like. This is the time that I need. This is the time I need you. This is when I can be there for you. 
and calendar, like literally getting it in our calendars, there's never a question. That's made a really big difference for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Google Calendar has been one of the best things for my marriage as well. No excuses. It's just right there. We can yeah, both see it. Exactly. <laughs> and I miss putting things in the calendar all the time. And I know it's on me. He's like, you didn't put it in the calendar. And I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> so, and then other forms of self-care. I mean, this is going to be somewhat of an eye roller, guilt-inducing segment right here, because all of us know what we're supposed to be doing with exercise and diet. And, and you know, we all stink at it at different levels or whatever. But I'm just curious, like, for somebody listening to this, where they're thinking like, oh, self-care, I don't have time for it, or I feel so tired, or I barely have any room for this. When it comes to eating, exercise, sleep, which I know you're big on, those seem to be super foundational to functioning as a human being. What would you say to somebody who just feels like they can barely scrape themselves up off the floor with a hard life, with challenges, betrayals, struggles, addictions? Where do you start? And I know there's not like a simple, easy answer. This is hard in practice, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this? Because I know you talk about this a lot. Okay. So I actually, I actually might do a post on this today because it, 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 I had this aha moment and this is really funny and maybe like a little too bit too much information. But before I got on this podcast, I was rushing home from my workout class and I got, and I had got a big diet Coke from McDonald's and I was in a hot shower drinking a cold diet Coke. <laughs> it was a moment. It was like the rest of my day can go to hell in a handbasket, but I had this moment, like it was silent and it was hot. And I had a cold drink and I was like, I think it's appreciating those moments, creating these small moments because I've got six kids. Today is crazy. I'm helping with bed bugs. Like there is so much going on in my life that I was feeling a little bit out of control on my way home as I was thinking about all I needed to do. And then I had this moment in the shower and it was like seeking out that moment. And I thought not only seeking it out, but really creating that moment. Like I'm going to take you know, I'm going to be intentional about this. I'm going to take two to five minutes and I'm just going to sit here and let this hot water go down on me. I'm not going to think about anything. I'm just going to love this moment because I know the minute I get out of the shower, it's not going to stop for the rest of the day, (laughs) you know? And so I think when, when all is lost, when it's hard and it is, there is so much hard out there. And I know everyone has their own level and, and different hearts. But find that moment, you know, find that little bit of time, you know, for the next five minutes, I'm going to lay in my bed or I'm going to, I don't care if it's scrolling on your phone, but being intentional. The other thing that I love the thought of someone the other day said, you always seem like you're in a good mood. Do you ever have a bad day? And I said, I never have a bad day because that's just too long for me to be in a bad day. So I'll give myself an hour or two or three that I'm going to cry. I'm going to rant. I'm going to, I'm going to be all about it. Yuck, yuck, yuck. It's horrible. It's hard. It's bad. And then I'm going to move on. And maybe tomorrow I do that again. I wake up and it's like, after the kids go off to school, I need another hour. I'm going to sit in this misery and I'm upset. But once the hour is over, I'm going to choose because my thoughts, I can choose what thoughts I have and I'm going to move on from that. So it's allowing yourself time to be mad, sad, depressed, upset, you know, missed expectations. But then saying after that moment, I'm going to move on and I'm going to go have a cold Diet Coke and a hot shower. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a tropical vacation. (laughs) It was. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And And I think about that even with, and I know like you said, even with exercise or eating, just even making one decision that right now... And oh, I didn't get into that. I know, I know. I'm going to say something real quick that you you inspired me on one of your posts. I don't remember where you said it, but you said like, you know, making a choice in terms of eating, even just being able to say, you know what, like I'm going to listen to my body and find out what it really needs. Like, will this really... 
is this really going to be worth it? Is this really going to give me what I need? Like that kind of intentionality, that kind of mindfulness around it. And then your quick little tip of like, when you're feeling cravings and snacking, go to the fridge, not the pantry. Yeah. A game changer for me, (laughs) by the way. It's a game changer. Yeah. So little things like that, like just having those intentional moments of saying, for this minute right now, I'm going to make this choice. And, you know, it may be a struggle, but for this moment, like you said, like the moment in the shower or choosing something that will feel better and healthier, moving your body, those kinds of things. I mean, that's where you start, right? Yeah. Yeah, you do. You do. You put on your shoes, you do the tiny thing, you do the thing that you can't fail at. You know, you, you choose, like you said, to go to the fridge instead of the pantry this time, you know, put on your shoes and walk around your block one time, even though, you know, and then you, you keep doing that and you build momentum and your brain who is running your life is like, I'm succeeding. I went on a walk for five minutes. I can do it again. I can do it again. And you keep having these little successes that can build up. Same with eating and snacking. I'm a huge believer that the reason I eat healthy is because I tell myself I am a healthy eater. I don't eat blank, blank, blank. I choose this over that. I tell you guys online, but I'm also telling myself that all the time where I think if you're constantly making choices, do I eat this? Do I not? Do I not? You know, it's hard. But when you tell yourself because your brain is running, you're eating as well. I don't do this. I eat this warm chocolate chip cookie because it's worth it. The two day old banana bread, that's terrible. I don't eat that because I wouldn't waste, you know, it's like this mentality of who you are, how you function. And you're telling your brain, brain, this is, this is how it is. This is who I am. And I don't veer from that. It lessens that willpower. Cause you know, we all know we have this so much willpower by the end of the day, everyone's eating the banana bread plus more because our willpower is down where if it's this mindset of, I am a healthy eater, I do not do this. And the more it's like those little tiny steps and your brain starts believing it. I love that. It's yeah, it's, it's basically taking charge of your, your own brain. And, and I mean, again, I, I've felt this before so many times where I feel like I'm being carried along by my body and it's just going to do what it's going to do. And that's always, that for me always leads to misery, depression, you know, shame but to have the the ability to say, you know, for this one moment, I'm going to make this choice. And then you said it starts compounding over time. And it's that success. You're like, I can do that again. And being comfortable in the uncomfortable exercise, you know, eating for sure. It's like, this is going to, you know, when I, when I'm trying to cut back or whatever, it's like, it is a little uncomfortable, but I I expect that. And I know that, and I'm going to be okay with that for a minute. And it's not going to always be that way, but I think getting comfortable in the uncomfortable exercise for sure. You know, it can, it can feel like that. And then the third pillar that you talked about, which I don't want to miss out on is sleep. I'm the biggest proponent of sleep, three pillars of health, eating, exercise. We never talk about sleep. And to me, I am who I am. I have the energy I have everything solely because of the sleep I get. Which is how much? You know, I'm getting seven and a half to eight hours consistently. Yeah. I so important to me. It's amazing how six hours feels so different than even seven hours. Yeah. Seven, a seven to eight hours to me is, is awesome. It's gold. Because yeah. it is, and it, and it, it trickles down into your workouts, into your eating. If I don't sleep well, you guarantee I'm eating not very well the next day. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not wanting to exercise. I'm definitely shorter with my kids. I don't get along as well with my husband. Like it changes my life. And so if you want more energy, it's not about caffeine, it's about sleep. Yeah, I love that. 
I love that. Yeah. And, you know, having the, again, directing your life, having the boundaries. I mean, there's a whole discussion on how to set up your day and your evening so that you can pull this off because it just doesn't happen on its own, obviously, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's sacrificing things. Yeah. Everyone's like, well, why do you hang out with your husband. When do you watch Netflix? And I'm like, there's some nights we choose sleep over sitting and talking in bed for an hour. And I right. never regretted it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. You can't do it all. And like you said, you just have to decide what's worth it. So just as we're wrapping up here, we've covered a lot of ground here in terms of thriving. I would love to know for you, like what inspires you? Like, you know, where do you draw inspiration from in terms of these ideas, these, these lifestyle things that you've very, been very intentional about in terms of how you've structured your culture? Like, where does that come from for you? You know, I would say it comes from learning from other people. I am curious. I'm constantly listening and reading and I want to soak in as much, you know, information as possible. So all of these things are very rarely my ideas. They're things that I'm learning about. And, and I do have all my kids in school right now. So I feel like I'm a little bit in this learning phase where I want to soak in information. I want to better myself. I want to better my community. How can I do that? Right now I'm reading a book called Human Humankind. And it's about how as humans, we're actually inherently kind, but it kind of walks through the history of that. And so I'm, I'm learning about that so that I can you know, share it with my audience and take it into my life. And so I think being curious, wanting to learn, wanting to be open to new ideas. Like I said, all of these ideas are taken mostly from other people. Then you glean from them. And then you take like the things that you've said have, have even heightened them for me because they were great thoughts I went with it that I haven't had. And so I think connection, like, you know, the, the name of your podcast, I think is so important. Connecting with others, learning from others, being open to that, and not just kind of having this one way of thinking. But I'd say really my inspiration is, is connection, is, is learning and, and being curious right now. I love it. Yeah. And I, and that's, again, that's part of why I think why I was so drawn to having you on the podcast is because you have that vibe of like, let's learn something together, you know, with your Instagram audience and your YouTube channel. Like, it's like, let's try this thing out. Let's see what happens here. There's just a lot of movement, a lot of purpose. And then you hold on to the things that work and then discard the things that don't. You know, even at one point, there was a post you had made recently where you, you had some second thoughts on it and you pivoted and you were just like, that's not going to work. Let's do something different in front of, you know, 80,000 people or whatever. And I, I respect that. I think that that's a lot of this intentionality modeling for people that, you know, you get to direct this and choose this and you don't have to be stuck to one way of doing things. And I, I think that that's a great, just a great perspective on life. Really, really cool. Learning to pivot. No kidding. And being happy in the pivot is everything. Life <laughs> is, a, is constantly pivoting, but being okay with it. Totally. And learning, I, I watch in business that when, if you don't pivot, you're stuck. You're in trouble. Totally. And I think I've applied that to life where it's like, oh my gosh, if I can't pivot, I'm going to be miserable if you're stuck in this one lane. And so it's pivoting. If you can enjoy it, enjoy the ride, I think is everything. I love it. Yeah. And boy, if there was a word to describe 2020 for me, it was pivoting. We all had, Absolutely. everybody had to just get really creative and figure out how to pivot you know, with all the crazy changes. So I'm going to put your details in the show notes where people can find you, but tell our, tell the listeners about what you're doing, where they can find you you know, what you've been up to? Yeah. So mainly, um, I'd say I'm on Instagram, which is under my name, Kristen Andrus. And then my YouTube channel, you can just search um, under YouTube for Kristen Andrus and they are at home free workouts. I always say it's my gift to all of the women and men who are at home, who don't go to the gym or have little kids. 
who want a really hard, good workout. It's a total party. I love it. I love doing the workouts. And so that's a really fun thing, but that's always linked to my Instagram as well. So I'd say I have a website, which isn't updated a lot. Although I have been doing a big menstrual product drive where I've been raising um, money and funds and product for girls around our community who do not have access to those things. So that's on my website, but I always have my hands in at least 25 things. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's inspiring. And I, I just am so grateful you took some time out of your busy schedule today and just really appreciate just, you know, who you are, what you're doing, what you're bringing, just all the, all the inspiration and joy. You know, I know most of your audience is, is probably female, but I can't help but stop in and just, you know, kind of peek in occasionally, see what you're up to. And I, I just appreciate it. It's very inspiring. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. If you want to follow Kristen and the great things that she's doing on both YouTube and Instagram, you can just look her up at Kristen Andrus. And I'll put links to that in the show notes so you guys can find her easily and follow her and connect to what she's doing. Once again, I want to thank Kristen for joining me on the podcast. I just loved our interview, loved talking about these things. And it's just great to connect with people who are trying to make a difference in the world and who feel a tremendous amount of purpose and intentionality. There's a lot of hurting, a lot of suffering out there. And I just love to see people who are willing to take action and aren't just all talk and really want to make things happen. So thank you, Kristen, for being such an inspiration. And thanks again for making time. And once again, I want to thank all of you for your great support of this podcast. And definitely encourage you, if you want more resources, more support, come check out my website, jeffstewart.com. I've got lots of resources on there, Trust Building Bootcamp, past episodes of this podcast. I have a weekly relationship column that I feature and share all of this stuff on my social media as well on Instagram and Facebook. And I would love to connect with you there. So please follow me there and let's keep in touch. And of course, always love hearing the feedback about the podcast and anything else that you'd love to share. Love connecting with all of you and being a resource for you and your families. Have a great day and I'll connect with you in the next podcast. Thank you.